2: History of Persia is a Hopful Media podcast production. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp Therapy Online. Life doesn't come with a user manual. So when life stops working for you, it's pretty normal to feel stuck. Imagine somebody who spent, oh, say 25 years being really distracted overwhelmed by clutter, and fluctuating between being really into obscure ancient history and not being able to find the motivation to do the dishes. That person is me, and apparently, if there were a user manual to life, it might have told me that I have ADHD and should talk to my doctor about that. Therapists are about as close to a manual as we can get, folks who are trained to help you figure out challenging emotions and learn coping skills. BetterHelp has connected millions of people with licensed, registered therapists for convenient and secure online therapy. It's convenient and 100% accessible online. No waiting rooms, no traffic, and not even endless Googling of therapist near me. You just fill out a questionnaire and get matched with an appropriate therapist. And if it doesn't click, BetterHelp makes it easy to switch providers. Everyone deserves to feel their best, so get unstuck with BetterHelp. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com Persia. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com Persia. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the History of Persia, or at least a sort of addendum episode to it. I'll be totally honest, I forgot that the next narrative episode would be due out on Thanksgiving Day. I'm hosting five extra people this week, and my in-laws are actually staying in my office, so as you might guess, there's not a lot of recording and editing podcasts happening. But I didn't want to leave you in the lurch for content if you're trying to escape family dinner or just live somewhere in the other 500 million square kilometers of the world. So this is a little teaser for my recent and ongoing series of guest episodes for the Oldest Stories podcast. The Oldest Stories, for those that don't know, covers the history of the ancient Near East prior to Cyrus the Great, He's just wrapped up with the late Bronze Age collapse in the Hittite Empire. But Bronze Age Iran, the land of Elam, doesn't have a lot of easily accessible sources and tends to get left out of these stories. I volunteered to fill in the gap, and James was gracious enough to let me borrow his show. I have four episodes over there so far, and at least two on the way, You can find those online at theoldeststories.net or wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, I'll put all of the relevant links in the description of this episode. What follows here is a short excerpt from my third Elamite episode. You're about to be dropped into the Middle Bronze Age. A thousand years before anybody had ever heard of a Persian, in a time when there was no great king, but there was a great governor, or grand regent. In this period, a hereditary line of governors under the title Sukalma had replaced the kings of the various Elamite cities as the rulers of the kingdom, with minor governors called Sukals beneath them. But the middle of this period was also one of the few times that a Mesopotamian empire occupied modern Khuzestan. King Gungunum of Larsa swept over the border and installed an Elamite governor called Atahushu at Susa, who claimed all of the local titles, but was not a Sukalma. Apparently, the Grand Regent still held sway in the rest of Elam, but as you'll see, Gungunum was far from the end of Elamite power. Whoever he was, Atahushu became the Sukal of Susa, and all of his other titles, when he was fairly young. He first appears in 1916 BC, but his name appears on more Akkadian documents from three generations of scribes in one family, and one document dated to the first year of Sumu Abum, the first king of Babylon, in 1884. He was apparently succeeded by another unrelated Elamite governor, in service to Larsa, called Tetep Mada, who also claimed to be a relative of Shilhaha and Shepherd of Susa. At this point, Shilhaha must be a distant relationship, given that we are a full century removed from the first Sukalma. What exactly was happening in the rest of Elam at this time is unclear. We have no documents from anybody claiming to be the Sukalma, the Sukhal of Elam, or anything to do with Anshan that could firmly be tied to this period. Cook Nasher was probably Sukalma for some of it, but the next person to appear with the highest-ranking title was Shirukta, almost a full century after Gungunum invaded Elamite territory. Whether or not Shirukta had any hereditary right to his title is hard to know, He also claimed legitimacy as the Ruhushak of Shilhaha, but his own successors tied their legitimacy back to Shirokta, suggesting that he could be the founder of a new dynasty. Like previous Elamite rulers with unclear ties to their forebears during Mesopotamian occupations, Shirukta went on the offensive. If the Elamite alliance with Isin had ever lapsed, Shirikta renewed it. At some point in his reign, he retook Susiana and expelled the Larsa-backed rulers there before invading Mesopotamia. He joined King Zambia of Isin in a campaign against Larsa. That campaign was apparently a defeat because Larsa remembered the year as the fifth year of Sin-Iksham, the year the armies of Uruk, Kazalu, Elam, and Zambia, king of Isin, were defeated by arms. Or 1831 BC, to put it another way. Ultimately, Sin-Iksham died that same year and Larsa fell into disarray anyway. The next king was deposed and an Amorite army invaded and occupied Larsa itself. shirak took full advantage of Mesopotamian cities turning on one another for a few years to expand his own territory. He pushed into the upper Tigris region and subjugated some of the local Amorite tribes, including the Mutabal, whose leaders took on Elamite names. One of these leaders, Kudur-Mabuk, was the Elamite who conquered Larsa and installed a new king on the throne there presumably with Elamite support to either encourage conflict in Mesopotamia or at least find a way to ally with the new rulers of Larsa, who were either kudur Mabuk's sons or puppets. Of course, Shirakta's friends in southern Mesopotamia were mostly wiped out when a little historical figure called Hammurabi came to power in Babylon and turned what was once Sumer into Babylonia. We might expect someone with the historical reputation of Hammurabi to be another example of a short-lived Elamite foray, ending with a new Mesopotamian conqueror invading Susa. But Hammurabi mostly left Elamite holdings to the north alone and focused his attention on the south. Shirakta got involved in the north. He formed an alliance with the Assyrian king Shamshi-Adad in 1785 BC and joined the Assyrians, Eshnuna, and a mountain people called the Tarukians in a campaign to conquer Gutian territory. Supposedly, Elam alone provided 12,000 men for this endeavor. The number itself is clearly an exaggeration, but maybe not as much as we traditionally expect. This point in the early 18th century BC represents the absolute zenith of Elamite political power and territorial reach. If anybody in the early Bronze Age could furnish that kind of strength, it was Elam. Not long after this campaign, both Shirok Ta and Shamshi died. While that gave Zimri-Lin of Mari the opportunity to return home from Babylon and check Assyrian expansion in the west, Elam just kept going with barely an interruption. One of Shirakta's relatives, Siwe-Palar-Hapak, had already been the sukal of Susa and Elam, and easily transitioned into his new role as full-fledged sukalma. Siwe-Palar-Hupak appointed his brother Kutuzalush to be the new Sukkal of Susa, and both were in regular contact with Mari and Babylon. Kutuzalush was in charge of Elam's Mesopotamian territories and had the most direct contact with their western neighbors. Even though most correspondence was addressed to the Sukalma himself, The local Sukal scribes handled a lot of the legwork. Kutuzalush was the one facilitating diplomatic gifts and arranging the specifics of trade deals with the foreign kings, while his brother dictated official Elamite policy. Trade deals in particular were of the utmost importance. Elam controlled the flow of trade through the Persian Gulf and the overland route on the Khorasan Road through Iran. That meant control of both luxury goods and the essentials of Bronze Age society. Incense from Dilmun and Oman, unique and exotic designs from the Indus Valley, and from Bactria in modern Afghanistan, precious stones like carnelian and lapis lazuli, and most importantly, the tin necessary to produce all of the Bronze Age's actual bronze. While these trade goods were the most valuable imports from Susa to Egypt, Elamite archaeological sites are also full of more day-to-day examples. Artwork, pottery, and even foodstuffs were imported from the fringes of their known world to cities like Susa and Anshan. In one striking example, a god from Dilmun in modern Bahrain even had a temple in Susa, 150 miles from the coast. Their influence wasn't limited to eastern trade. Despite the presence of Assyria, Babylon, Eshnunna, and Mari to the west, Elamite influence reached almost to the Mediterranean, due in large part to their military reputation and control of the Tin and Lapis Lazuli trade. Letters from the city of Katna, sent to Zimri-Lin in Mari, showed that the western Syrian city even considered giving their territory to the Sukalma in exchange for military support against Aleppo. In all of these correspondences from Katna to Mari to Assyria, Eshnuna, and Babylon, the Sukalma in Elam was constantly regarded as the highest-ranking king. Even earlier, Rim-Sin, the last independent king of Larsa before Hammurabi conquered the city, addressed Shirakta as the great king of Elam, expressing an elevated royal title not used by anyone for anyone else in Mesopotamia at the time. As correspondence with foreign rulers increased in frequency following the rise of Babylon and Assyria, this distinction became more pronounced. The other major kings of the Near East addressed each other as equals, calling one another brother in their official letters, but only the king of Elam was addressed as father. Some of the greatest Bronze Age monarchs, Hammurabi, Shamshi-Adad, and Zimri-Lin, all regarded Shirakta and Siwe-Palar-Hapak as their royal fathers, their superior monarch. And naturally, the Sukalmas used this prosperity to their military advantage. For most of the Isin Larsa period, the tin trade had passed through Elam, then Eshnunna, before being sold to Assyria, Babylon, Mari, or beyond. Not so long ago, Shamshi Adad and Assyria had been an expansionist threat, and Eshnunna provided a regional check to balance them out. With Assyria now in decline, Eshnunna wasn't as politically valuable. Siwe-Palar-Hapak conspired with Zimri-Lin of Mari and Hammurabi in Babylon to cut out the middleman. The three powerful kingdoms ganged up on their central neighbor and conquered Eshnunna. Everybody involved went into this invasion with their own goals. siwe Paler hapak and Hammurabi were both planning to seize territory from their neighbor, and Zimri Lin expected the cost of tin to go down if he shared a border with Elam. If everybody had gotten what they wanted in exchange for their equal participation, then this probably could have gone perfectly. Elam could have continued to be the dominant power in the north and east, the Sukoma would have remained everyone's royal father, and there would have been more room for military expansion in other directions, maybe even into Assyria, but no. Siwe Palar Hapak got greedy. The existing precedent was that he was the superior king. He moved into the palace in Eshnunna and sent troops to evict the Babylonians when Hammurabi tried to seize forts and towns to the south. Meanwhile, Zimri Lin kept paying the same price for tin, and Elam got to enjoy all of the profits of Eshnuna's tax policy. To add insult to injury, Siwe Paler Hapak ordered his outraged neighbors not to communicate with one another or face military consequences. So, of course, they communicated with one another. And Hammurabi concluded a treaty with Zimri lim that read, From now on, as long as I live, I shall indeed be the enemy of Siwe-Palar-Hupak. I shall not let my servants or messengers mingle with his servants, and I shall not dispatch them to him. I shall not make peace with Siwe-Palar-Hupak without the approval of Zimri Lim. If I plan to make peace with Siwe-Palar-Hupak, I shall certainly consult with Zimri Lim. And so, in year 30 under Hammurabi and year 8 for Zimri Lim, 1764 BC, Babylon and Mari invaded Elamite territory in northern Mesopotamia. I won't elaborate too much here because that episode already exists in episode 44 of this podcast, but it must have been quite the war. Siwe Pallar Hapak called in troops from every part of the Elamite Empire to fend off these invaders, but it was no use. Hammurabi conquered all of Elam's Mesopotamian territory, and the Sukkoma was forced to pull back inside Elam's traditional borders. But of course, everyone in this story is a backstabbing traitor, because Hammurabi turned his own troops around on his ally in Mari, and defeated Zimri Lim just the next year. After that point, the history of the Sukalmas is all but impenetrable. We only have a few administrative documents and inscriptions from Susa, but none of it helps to build a timeline. We can figure out the order of who held which lower Sukal offices, before ascending the throne based on those records and the genealogy of one later Elamite king. We can see that the Sukalma remained the ruler of northern Elam at least into the 16th century BC, and that they continued building temples in Susa, but evidence for a connection to Anshan and the south is all but non-existent. After overreaching their power and a crushing defeat at the hands of Hammurabi, the most powerful empire of their day, the Elamite Empire of the Sukalmas, fell rapidly back into obscurity and disrepair. No dynasty from Elam would reach the same prominence again until the Achaemenid Persians launched their own empire from a royal seat in Anshan a thousand years later. And that is where I'll leave things for today. My next episode will be a break from the political history of Elam to flesh out some information about the Elamite gods before heading into the Middle Elamite period.